Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Uh, so we're going to have a, a great day today. Um, we're doing things a little bit different, though, today. is uh, We're actually, usually what we do is now we will have our go time uh, where we talk about what God's doing through Impact Church in our neighborhoods. Northern. We're going to start by opening up God's Word. So if you have a copy of God's Word, whether you brought a Bible or you have a phone or tablet, uh, you can pull that out and, um, and follow along today. And turn with me to the Gospel of John, the book of John, uh, chapter 4 is where we're going to hang out today. John chapter 4. And uh, as you guys turn there, I know um, it'll be a little bit different, but I want to tell you kind of what to expect and and what what we're going to be doing. So I'm going to read uh, from God's Word today, and then I'm just going to make a couple of notes for us and uh, talk a little bit um, about God's word, and then we're going to hear, we're going to have our go time. And today's go time is really special because we're going to be hearing from our Greece go team who came back last week from Athens, Greece, serving refugees from all over the world. And we're going to get a chance to hear from them. And some of their stories and the things they're going to share are just too good today uh, for me to take up all of our time. And I want to make sure that these guys have enough time to share with you what they've seen and what they've heard and what they've experienced so that it might increase our faith together as a church today. And then I'll come back up and wrap us up, all right? So that's kind of how uh, the rest of today is going to work. So I'm going to read a story to us in the Bible, and uh, I'm going to try really hard to just read the story and uh, let it kind of speak for itself. And I'll, I'll make a couple of notes along the way to try to explain some things to you. Um, but we're going to read a story in the Bible that if you have never been to church before, um, it may sound a little, little crazy, like there's some verbiage and language that may be a little different for you. Um, If you have gone to church before, chances are you've probably heard this story. Maybe even if you grew up in church, you colored a coloring sheet about this story. It's kind of a popular story, but um, I, there's, and there's a lot to this story, but today I'm pulling out one thing that uh, from this story, I don't have time to get into all of it and what it all entails. I wish I did, um, but we're, we're not going to be able to do that today. So be patient with me if you're like, hey, that's my, one of my favorite stories and he didn't talk about this, um, which is great because that means you already know about it. So you didn't need me to talk about it today. All right, John chapter four, and we're going to uh, dive in. And I'm going to pick up in verse seven. Um, and so I'll give you a little bit of context as to what is happening. Uh, Jesus is, is with his disciples and the religious leaders of the day are, are freaking out a little bit because uh, they see that there's this guy named Jesus of Nazareth and there's also this guy, John the baptizer. And he's just going around baptizing people and, and they both have followings. But John has transferred his followers to Jesus. So John says, hey, I only came to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. 
Messiah, and now you guys, uh, let's all go follow him. And so that's kind of what, that, what, what is happening. And the religious leaders don't like that. Um, they don't like the fact that Jesus is gaining a following and more people are, are following. In fact, they, they try to do this whole thing. So, so last week and this week, we're talking about this idea of following Jesus and what that actually looks like and means. And last week, we talked about how we don't want to just call ourselves a Christian because so many people have different ideas of what that looks like and what that means. Um, and so what we want to do is be really specific about who we are. And uh, we are not just cultural Christians who grew up in church or whatever. Like, we are followers of Jesus. Like, we, this impacts and affects us on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And so... Um, so that's kind of what's happening is Jesus has this following. The religious leaders don't like it. So Jesus grabs his disciples. They go out of town. And uh, it says that he's headed to Galilee. He's headed to a certain part. But he says uh, he's something he just felt like he had to pass through a town called Samaria. And Samaria had uh, people in it called Samaritans. And uh, they were not like uh, the most beloved people uh, culturally by you know, where Jesus came from. They had some major problems. They knew about God and they knew about the Old Testament and the Bible, but um, they, they weren't like the best of, of crowds. And there was kind of just cultural like um, uh, battle happening between the two. So this is where we pick up, all right? Um, John chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, Jesus uh, stops at a well uh, to get, take a little break, okay? Uh, it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, uh, because his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Okay, now this is important because she draws out two cultural things that are happening. She says, first of all, why are you talking to me and why are you asking me for help? Number one, I'm a Samaritan and like we don't hang out. Number two, I'm a woman. So it's very culturally like it, it would have been a really big deal that Jesus by himself as a man was talking to this, this other woman, like almost giving her credibility, okay? Um, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Isn't that amazing? So verse 11, the woman said to him, sir... This is one of my favorite. Sir, you ain't got nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Um, so where you, where you going to get that living water? So I, I love this passage because Jesus, you know, is like, well, you know, lady, if you'd have just, you know, if you'd have thought about it, you could have asked me, and i give you living water. And she's looking around. She's like, you ain't got no bucket. You ain't got no hope. Like, you ragged, ragged muffin. Like, you don't know what you're doing. And uh, so where, come on, where are you going to get that living water, you know, as she's sitting there with her buckets. Like, you know, just like, a, a you know, I'm prepared, you know. And, uh, and so let, let's keep going and, and see what Jesus says. Um, so the woman says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Now she's going to pull it. Now she's going to school Jesus in some Old Testament theology. He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said to her, oh, this is good. You might want to underline or highlight this. Everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. Doesn't that make sense? 
right? Jesus says, yeah, you're going to come, you're going to pull a bucket up, you're going to get some water, you're going to go back, you're going to drink, and in a few hours, you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to come back, and you're going to keep doing this, right? But verse 14, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Man, it almost sounds like a Shark Tank episode, right? Um, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty and I won't have to come here to this well and keep drawing water. So this is, this is a really amazing interaction because Jesus is obviously not talking about physical water. Like he's not saying, you know, yeah, I'm just going to, I'll pour out some water. You know, like Jesus is talking about water that nourishes the soul. He's talking about a greater need. You're meeting a physical need coming here to get some water, but you have a major spiritual need. And I am the only one who can meet your spiritual need. And so, so you're going to keep being dissatisfied. So he says, your spiritual life is kind of like drinking water, where you come to church and you get a little bit of fill and you drink a cup and you go, ha, huh, that was really good. Crazy preacher, but pretty good service. I really enjoyed that. That was great. And then Tuesday hits and work stinks and the kids are crazy and classes are going nonstop. And you're like, I'm thirsty again. Like, let's do this, right? And Jesus says, actually, spiritually, if you're not careful, you're going to the wrong well to try to get satisfied. He says, but if you would just know me and trust me, have a relationship with me, I will give you myself and you'll never thirst again. You will be completely satisfied spiritually. Like this is, so Jesus is using this as an illustration to talk about our need for him, our spiritual need for him, all right? So the woman says, calls him, on his, calls him out and says, Sounds good. Where's this water at? Let's do this. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, okay, well, go call your husband and get over here. And the woman answered him, I don't have a husband. Then Jesus said to her, you're exactly right in saying I don't have a husband, for you had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. And what you have said is true. Man, God flexed by Jesus right here, like pulling out the Jesus card really quick, right? Um, and so the woman said to him, Oh, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Master deflection. Like, wow, that's amazing. Like, let's just ignore what just happened here and uh, let's take it somewhere else. That's really good. And so she looks at Jesus and says, oh, I see you are a prophet. In other words, yeah, what you're saying is, is right, but uh, huh, let's talk about you for a little bit. And, uh, and so he says in verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. Here, what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is here, somebody needs to underline this in their Bible, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So they had this conversation, and uh, the woman's like, oh, you're a prophet. I've got a theological question, really been bugging me. And uh, uh, which mountain are we supposed to worship on, right? Uh, it's almost like today's equivalent if Jesus was here going, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. 
um, could you solve for us a couple of uh, a couple of questions? Like we're just wondering, traditional or contemporary service, right? Like we're just Jesus. I mean, it's like you have the Son of God here, and you start talking about these these types of things. So he does that, and Jesus just flexes again and says, "Listen, um, you're asking the wrong question because one day we ain't gonna worship on that mountain or that mountain or that mountain." He said, "God is looking inside the heart." So it's not about where you worship. It's not about the style that you worship. This is about the heart you bring into worship. Because there ain't enough making it traditional or making it contemporary or sprucing up the building. or There ain't enough of outward stuff you can do that covers up a bad heart. Verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. Now, I just want to say here, if you're new to church, you may be going, that's kind of weird. Christ means Messiah, okay, or the one who we're expecting or looking for. And so uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name, so you can't really do that in a Google search. But Christ just means Jesus, the Messiah, the one who we've been expecting to come, okay? Um, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. It's amazing. I mean, this lady's like pulling it all out. And she finally says, well, we're waiting on a Messiah. You're kind of talking like, and Jesus goes, uh-huh. Yep. I am he. All right. Well, just then with impeccable timing, the disciples came back and, uh, they, you can just see Jesus face palming, right? Like, Really, guys, right now I'm in the middle of something. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So they're also not completely dumb. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, listen, that right there, verse, verses 28 and through 30, are the verses I want to focus on today. All right, so I'm going to keep reading because who doesn't want to finish a really good story? But I want you to know we're going to come back to, to this passage, okay? Um, in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were, or I have food to eat that you, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food to eat that you do not, or I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has somebody brought them something to eat? <laughs> oh, man, it makes me feel better about myself, you know? And uh, so the disciples are going, Man, we, he sent us to the store to get some food. Now he says he's not hungry. He says he's got food stashed away somewhere. The dude's been holding out on us. Like, what's going on? Uh, in verse uh, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Man, look in verse 34. It says, who sent me? Jesus knowing that he is living a life that is sent. He is on mission, right? And that's what we are as we follow Jesus. Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, come on, somebody, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, this is important. If you're not a farmer, let me explain. I'm not either, but um, I Googled. And let me tell you exactly what. So back then you could see, like you would look up, and as the harvest is ready, you're going to see white, like over, over the fields. And, and so Jesus is telling them, like, lift your head. And I love that part because that's really important for us because sometimes that's what Jesus needs to do. We get so focused in on one thing, so obsessed over one certain thing, or maybe it's our preferences or what we want or any multitude of things. We get so focused and obsessed. And Jesus takes his disciples and says, lift up your head. Look at me. Look around you. 
You keep saying we've got to wait for the harvest to come. We've got to wait for the harvest. Jesus says, look up. While you guys have been looking down and focused on this over here, the harvest has come. It is here. And listen, he's speaking metaphorically. He's not just pointing at the fields because look at what happens back in verse um, 30. In verse 30, it says, they went out of the town and were coming to him. So the woman leaves the well and goes and tells people in her town, you guys got to come check out. I think I have found the Messiah. Like, listen, some random lady, Samaritan woman, leaves to go get some water from a well and comes back and was the first missionary ever commissioned by Jesus. Who She just goes to get some water, and next thing you know, she's going off the first person we have recorded in the Gospels to go tell other people the Messiah has come. Isn't that amazing? And so the, she pronounces, and they start coming. And I can just see Jesus not pointing at the fields, but pointing at the people. And saying, don't you see the people? Jesus says, look at the people. The harvest is here. People's hearts are ready. And guys, that's one of the reasons we're starting this new church here in Fredericksburg. Is because, man, there are hundreds of thousands of people moving into this city and moving into this area. And what should we do? Should we just let the gospel-centered churches that are here be overtaken and overwhelmed by the harvest and not have any help? Should we wait 10 years until it's completely out of hand and we're playing catch-up, which the church usually has a tendency to do? No. So we come and we start churches and we make disciples and we tell people about Jesus and we go have conversations and say, hey, the Messiah has come. There is hope. Jesus is here. Like, you can have a relationship with him. And so that's, that's what's happening here. Um, uh, then we'll go in verse 36. It says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and uh, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Well, many Samaritans. Many Samaritans. In other words, many people far away from Jesus. Many people unacceptable to the Jews. Many people unlike the culture Jesus comes from. Many people from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Do you see that? And so one word that we're going to be talking about today, and you can just write that word right by verse 39, is this word, multiplication. Multiplication. I know in our church, maybe even a little bit in church culture, this word has become a little bit of a buzzword, but today I want to talk to you a little bit about what that looks like. Jesus sends and then out to testify. The woman then goes to the town and testifies and then brings them, and now many of them believe. So it starts with one woman who goes and tells a few people, and then they come and they believe. Now let's look at what happens next. In verse 40, it says, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Verse 41, And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow. One 
conversation for a glass of water turns into people from the nations hearing and believing in the good news that Jesus is the Savior, not of the Jews, but of the world. How cool is that? One woman who most of us would think would need to go through a lot of discipleship before she was ready to share the good news about Jesus. You know, the whole five husbands and, you know, she had her own multiplication strategy going on there. And you, it's just a joke, people, okay? You don't have to be nervous about it. So, like, she's got her whole thing going on and Jesus comes in, redeems her life. She believes, she tells, and God uses the testimony of this woman to bring many people and then uses those many people to go get more many people and they believe and Jesus goes from being the savior of a following who is just Jewish people to now the savior of the world, of many nations. So today I I just want to share for a second before we call our our Greece team up and I just want to share with you a little bit about what we mean about the word multiplication. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write the word multiplication. And, uh, and I want to share with you just a little bit of the vision of Impact Church. I want to peel the curtain back just for a second because I think this is so radical, so important when we see that how Jesus used one woman who in our standards would not have been like the godliest, most mature, churched woman in the world, but uses her to reach an entire village, an entire town, an entire culture who now believes in Jesus where the gospel would eventually spread to all nations and eventually land on this little island of North America. I want you to see for just a second, like, this idea of multiplication is not a buzzword that we've tried to invent. Um, it's not a downline uh, pyramid scheme. This is, some, this is how the gospel of Jesus advances to change lives. And so I want you, want you to see that for a second. The first thing I want you to see is the difference between addition and multiplication, okay? Now, I need to give you a caveat before I do this. I have no, when it comes to numbers, I have no clue what I'm talking about. I am not a mathematician. I am not a physicist. Some of you are. And so listen, save your emails, okay? Save them. Send them to somebody else because I won't understand them. And I'm just doing the best I can, okay? So let me tell you a little bit of difference in the church world between addition and multiplication. In addition, and tell me if this sounds familiar, what happens is we just keep adding people to a building, right? So we get a building and we just keep adding people to it until the building can't fit everybody. And then we go, hallelujah, look at God work. We've got so many people in this building that we need what? A new building, a bigger building. So now we have enough people to pay for it. Let's build an even bigger building. We, put on, we add people to this bigger building. We put on more programs. We put on more events. We do everything we can that just adds to the number, that just adds people so we can pack people in. And the end result are consumers whose faith depends on coming to a Sunday morning experience once a month. The new average churchgoer in America means you go to church once a month, 12 times a year. That's the, since COVID, that's become the new uh, statistical standard. This is how addition works. 
If you've grown up in church or visited churches, maybe this sounds familiar to you. You know, how do we get people in the building? Big events, big programs. Let's get them in. They don't really know anybody or know how to get around. And then when we grow out of that, we'll raise more money. We'll build bigger buildings. And it'll just be, it's kind of like Monopoly. But let me show you how multiplication works. Multiplication works by one person teaching another one person how to follow Jesus. Boy, doesn't that sound really small? That doesn't sound quite as exciting as like really big buildings and lots and lots of people and big fun events. But it starts with one person teaching one person how to follow Jesus, maybe even like at a well. And then what happens is they multiply and this person starts teaching another person about Jesus and the person who just got taught about Jesus starts teaching someone else about Jesus and now you have grown the movement of God to four people. And eventually what happens is as you do this, you get a community group, what we at Impact would call a community group. And then eventually as that community group grows and multiplies with new disciples, you would get a, a church. And you would just continue doing that. Um, the way you multiply people is a little different from the way you add people. The way you multiply people is by building ongoing relationships that lead to ongoing discipleship. Do you see the difference is not let's cram as many people as we can into a building, but rather let's actually make fully mature disciples of Jesus Christ. So therefore, the end result is not just lots of people in big buildings. The end result are healthy, fully mature disciples of Jesus Christ Monday through Sunday. Kind of looks maybe a little bit like this picture. We can put this picture on the screen. You can see, if you're a visual person, maybe what that would look like. And in, in our language as a church, what we would say is you have one person on the far left who then starts making disciples, and you get what we would call a community group or small group, and we have that, and then that as the community group grows, look, they've started three community groups and multiplied, sent out of there and started new, and now you have a church, and that's how churches start. A lot of times we get it backwards. We go find a bunch of people, put them in a building, and say we have started a church. The problem is you don't know if anybody's following Jesus. You just have a bunch of people meeting together once a week. What we believe is that what we see in Scripture in John chapter 4 is this idea of one-by-one one personal relationships, people believing and actually becoming followers of Jesus. So you could say, man, addition is really about numbers. Multiplication is more about movement. And I just want to say from the get-go that I am not hating on any church Anyone who comes to Christ under any environment or any circumstance, we praise God for completely. It doesn't matter. We'll let Jesus sort out everything else. I'm just explaining the vision and the heart behind why we've started this new church. Addition um, caps at a, at a certain number that a building can hold, but multiplication says we've outgrown the building. I guess it's time to send some people out to start another new church somewhere. And then we start over here and continue reaching new people. And so if you start discipling one person for one year and then teach them to disciple another person for the next year, and then you do that. So if I disciple Wes for one year and then I teach him to disciple someone else and I start discipling someone else for another year, then in two years, 
you will have four disciples of Jesus Christ. Nobody's writing that down. No one's like mind is blown. But if you do that for five years, you will have 32 disciples of Jesus. Nobody cares. In 10 years, you will have 1,024 disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you see how multiplication works? Instead of just adding and adding until we cap out or build another building, now we're able to keep movement going and moving, making more disciples. And here's the problem. It takes longer. It takes longer. But if your goal is fully mature disciples of Jesus and not just a bunch of people in a building once a week, then isn't that a worthy goal that might take some time? Well, you guys see the numbers up here. I was going to try to surprise you, but they put them up. You see the numbers. In 15 years, you'll have over 32,000 disciples of Jesus. In 20 years, you'll have over a million disciples of Jesus. In 30 years, you'll have over a billion disciples of Jesus. If just one person teaches one other person to follow Jesus for one year. Well, in 33 years, I chose that number because it's my favorite number, and that's how long Jesus lived on the earth, you will have multiplied to reach over 8.5 billion people in the world, which is the world's population. So the strategy for reaching the world is not just let's build a building and cram as many people into it as we can, but rather sending people out and saying, you guys go and make disciples of all the nations. So what does this mean for Impact Church? Well, it means three things. Number one, we want to multiply disciples. We want to multiply disciples. We want to make disciples that make disciples. So we don't want it to be taboo in our church for someone to talk about um, discipling. Like, we don't want it, it may be weird. It may be weird, it may be awkward, it may be like not your thing, but we want it to be not taboo for someone to come up in our church and say, hey, is anyone discipling you? Is anyone spending time with you teaching you how to follow Jesus? To which you can reply, yes, actually, you are the 14th person to ask me that today, and I already have like 14 coffee meetings this week, so uh, please leave me alone. Like you can, there's that, but there's also for you to go actually know, and I don't even know what that means or how to start, but, but do you and could you help me? We don't want it to be taboo for us, for us to ask. Listen, you don't have to have a seminary degree to teach people how to follow Jesus. You, the only prerequisite is that you are following Jesus. And you could help someone who you're just like half a step ahead of them in some way, and you can meet with them and help them follow Jesus more. So I want you to imagine if it just started with one person discipling one person in this church in 33 years, we could reach the whole planet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But imagine what we could do together. Imagine what we could do in our community groups. And so we're not just a church that wants to make disciples to make disciples. We want to take those disciples when they're made. And now you have not a that meets in a home throughout the week, not, to, not a book club, not a social experiment, 
not an awkward dating thing. We're talking about a group of people who are following Jesus, trying to help other people follow Jesus, living out what Acts chapter 2 says the church is supposed to be. And so as you make disciples that make disciples, you become a community group. And then that community group sends people out and starts community groups. And then once you have several community groups, what do you have? You have a church. You have a church that now can meet together on Sunday mornings and go, man, I really miss seeing so-and-so because they're not at my house every Tuesday night anymore. But it's okay because I'm going to see them on Sunday. And they're going to tell me about what God's doing in their neighborhood. And I'm going to tell them what God's doing in my neighborhood. And we're going to share stories and pump each other up. We're going to care for each other and help each other and realize throughout the week we're not alone. And then we're going to leave Sunday morning and keep doing it. And then eventually you multiply enough community groups that Sunday morning becomes like a little overwhelming. And you go, well, we're either going to do a building campaign and people are going to empty their wallets and we're going to raise, I don't know, in this area, a solid $8 million to build a facility. Or we're going to send some people out to go do this somewhere else. And they're going to go start a church somewhere else. Until eventually we can fill the Washington, D.C. metro area up with gospel-centered, disciple-making movement that goes all throughout the D.C. area, reaching nations from all over the planet. And that can happen right here. There's no magic number. We're not waiting for God to send us a hundred more people. Or, or 20 mil, million more people. We're just saying, when God says move and the Holy Spirit sends us, we're ready to roll. And that's how we do it. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.